Hi, and welcome to Producer Says What. I'm Pierre Jackalone, and I'm talking to you from Hopetown Sound Studio in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And it's been a little while since we've had a podcast. The last one was October. Um, and uh, we, you know, we've, we've braved Omicron and um, still having issues with that here and there. But, um, but you know, things have been going well. And I wanted to do an update because there's been some interesting developments, at least in terms of gear in the studio. And, um, you know, we've had some great projects, uh, of course, as always, going on. Um, we just uh, wrapped up a single for uh, the band Black Cat Habitat. Um, we did a demo for an awesome uh, Don Henley tribute that's local. Um, and uh, I mean, really uh, spot on, you know, the singer um, uh, Rich uh, Magyar just has Don Henley dead to rights. It's unbelievable. Uh, so <laughs> that was kind of fun. And, you know, other things, uh, mix for an artist named Steve Ernst, um, some mastering going on, uh, since the last podcast, uh, really incredible, um, Colorado band, uh, called Good Folk, um, that was produced by my partner and friend, uh, Brian Dale Allen Strauss, and, um, and, uh, I did the mastering in our A-room, uh, lots of, you know, lots of fun projects going on and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to leave people out and we're just going to move on. Uh, but in terms of, uh, the things that I wanted to really hit with the podcast are, are uh, there've been these interesting developments in sort of two major audio quests that, uh, that I've been on and that really everybody is constantly on, um, which is, uh, one of them is, um, you know, the recording mixing side of things of how much analog uh, equipment to use and where to use it and whether, you know, how much to work in the box and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, that's uh, amazingly, that I mean, that's such a big issue for so many people, for everybody, really. Um, but I really feel like I uh, arrived at um, a sort of, you know, stable, uh, solution, um, to, uh, to that issue for me. And so I wanted to dedicate a podcast to that. Uh, the other quest is microphones and, and that's one that's also pretty much ongoing for a lot of people, unless you have, you know, uh, a, a ridiculous collection. Um, and, and our collection is getting pretty ridiculous, but, but, um, you know, uh, I, that's the one I want to talk about today, actually, um, which is, uh, if you've been following the studio, um, you've seen that, um, over the, over last summer, uh, we added, uh, a, a flea, uh, that's the brand flea, um, a clone of a Neumann U47. And, um, you know, I'm sure most people listening to this podcast are familiar with, uh, the U47, but in case you're not, um, this is a absolutely classic uh, Neumann tube microphone that was uh, mainly produced in uh, the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, they stopped production, I believe, around 1964, uh, 1965, around there. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like every other great mic from that era. It's on everything that was recorded, early Beatles, um, you know, uh, 
in addition to all the other mics he used, Frank Sinatra used this mic too. Uh, but it's also, you know, it's been a classic all the way along. No one's ever stopped using them. Um, and if you can find an original Neumann, they're, you know, crazy money at this point. Um, when Zane from One Direction was in our studio in 2017, uh, they rented uh, an original U47 from... Um, uh, jungle, <laughs> jungle music studios, uh, and uh, in New York, um, Anne Maselli, uh, the owner, and uh, it was her mic, um, and that was fun. That was gorgeous, um, and you know we got to have it here for a, a few months actually, and and everyone that was recording here at the time got a chance to sing through it, which was really cool. Um, I had run into one when I was in college. Um, I was studying with. Uh, a singer and a composer and guitar player uh, by the name of Jimmy Tunnel, and um, and he was working at uh, a studio in New York that was Sigma Sound New York. And but at the time, at that time in whatever it was, 1994-ish, it had already been sold uh, to a Japanese company that was producing karaoke tracks. Um, but uh, as funny as that sounds, that was actually at that time one of the best gigs in New York for musicians. Uh, they were just producing thousands of tracks of, of music on MIDI and using this million dollar studio uh, to do it in. And it was pretty crazy. I was, I was taking private lessons in a room with a Neve VR and you know, uh, a Sony 48 track dash, you know, which was the reel to reel digital machines that were God knows how much money. You know, and uh, uh, and you know, racks and racks full of incredible equipment. And, um, and uh, there was a song I did for my college's you know, CD and um, you know, Jimmy not only sang backgrounds for me, which, you know, he was, you know, he is a professional, um, studio singer. He's incredible. Um, but I got to sing my lead vocal, uh, through a vintage U47. Um, and so that was really exciting. And it was a, it was a particularly great specimen of that mic. So I've had some, you know, personal experience with this microphone. And of course I would, I, I've always wanted to own one. So uh, the company Flea, uh, they're Slovakian, and uh, they have really distinguished themselves. Um, and uh, you know, they are among maybe two or three companies that make you know, truly great you know, competitive clones of the original U47. Um, and you know uh, they're they're very you know they stand out they're 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 one of the better known uh uh you know u47 producers uh and and you know as you would expect they go crazy um sourcing original parts and and really matching the original specs uh they even have um you know the diaphragm which is three microns thin um, and to give you a uh, perspective, you know, you know, a human hair is a hundred microns. Um, so, uh, they even have that, um, you know, uh, created in Geffel, Germany, where Neumann did it for, you know, decades. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it, there's a deep commitment from Flea to getting these microphones right. And, um, and, and they have a lot of respect for, you know, because of that. So, uh, I, you know, this has been a lifelong dream, really, and I finally ordered one uh, last summer. And um, 
So, uh, you know, but they offer two varieties of the microphone, and really what these are were the two varieties uh, that Neumann ever produced. Um, the original capsule for the U47 was called an M7 uh, when Neumann made it. And, um, and around the early 60s, Neumann, uh, it became evident that whatever um, uh, materials they were using for the housings of the capsules um, was deteriorating. And so they changed that material. I believe they changed it to PVC. I could have it backwards. They could have changed it from PVC, but, uh, but I think they changed it to B PVC so that it wouldn't deteriorate. And, um, and it did, interestingly, create a slight change in the sound. Um, and now I've never used you know, I've, I've never had the, the luxury of being picky about which U47 I was using. Um, but in the two that I've ever used, they had pretty pretty similar characteristics, um, which is you know, this really uh, creamy, beautiful mid-range, very articulate top end. And they both were a little murky in the low mid-range. Um, and, uh, and that's... You know, and that's pretty much what I consider to be the characteristics of of a, of a U forty seven. the The one I used when uh, with you know, when I was in college um, at at Sigma New York um, uh, was more highly colored. I would say uh, it really had this really pronounced um, coloration to the sound that was beautiful, but it was very very specific. Um, the one that was used for Zane, uh, was very funny. Uh, again, this is personally owned by Anne Maselli, who is um, uh, Ariana Grande's uh, uh, engineer. And she owns, it's Jungle City Music. Uh, it's the name of the studio, it came to me. Uh, that's in Chelsea, New York City, beautiful penthouse. Um, I've never been inside, but I've seen pictures. It's gorgeous. Um, and Anne has an incredible collection. Uh, this was one of two of these mics that she owned. And it was very funny. Like, they had it skinned, like, to look like Iron Man. <laughs> and uh, actually, if you go back far enough on the studio's Instagram, there's pictures of this microphone. Um, and uh, from when it was here. So very cute and, uh, and amazing sounding. I don't know which variety that was, but it had... It had similar characteristics that I was describing in the sound, but no, nowhere near as highly colored as the one I used before. Um, it, had, it definitely had a more modern sound to it um, that was used for Zane. Um, and uh, if you're Zane fans listening to this for some reason, <laughs> um, the, uh, the tracks we're talking about are the ones that were for uh, Icarus Falls. Um, so the five that were recorded here. Uh, although it's iffy because um, when the Salt Wives were here producing him, they br they brought their own U87 and they actually used our U87 for him and they used their U87 just as a talkback uh, to talk to him. But they uh, they insist on using U87s for everything to get to make sure that they get a consistent sound in case they're recording him in different studios, which makes perfect sense. Um, but, uh, so they did not use that mic, but, um, you know, uh, if you really get into the liner notes on the album, uh, look for the ones that were, um, 
done by uh, not not by them, yeah, and uh, for this microphone. Anyway, so uh, I ordered the flea. Uh, it came, and so there. So the two choices of those two different um, capsules. Uh, the M7 uh, Fleas version, they just rebranded it the F7 because they're Flea and F. And, uh, and then the, the newer one, I don't remember what Neumann called it, but, um, but Flea just calls it an F47. And, and they offer, Flea offers both. Um, so, uh, you know, I really didn't have, I know a few people that own Flea microphones. They all had the M7 capsules. And I, you know, I knew what I liked and I knew what I didn't like about that. And um, again, uh, you know, it's a great mic, but I would say that these characteristics of the sort of murky low end um, and, you know, the high coloration makes it, you know, very specific. Um, so it's only going to work with certain people in certain situations. The, the, the way the company, the way Flea described the other capsule, the F47, was that it was more forward uh, and a little flatter in its frequency response. And they said more modern sounding. And, you know, that sounded uh, more appealing to me. It sounded, I mean, I'm a commercial recording studio and it sounded like it would work for more people. Um, and that's really my goal. Um, I mean, my goal is to sound great, but it's, it's you, know, you know, if I'm going to, this is a $4,000 microphone. I want it to work for as many people as possible because uh, I'm, I'm certainly not going to buy two of these. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so I ordered the F47, unfortunately sight unheard and um, <laughs> ears unheard, uh, uh, but, um, and it arrived and it's, you know, it's great. It's a wonderful mic. My issues with it, uh, are different from the other uh, ones that I've heard. Um, what I pretty quickly discovered uh, was that um, it's very, very... First of all, it's loud as hell. It, it, the signal that it comes in to the mic preamp from it is just super hot. Um, and that's great, you know, and the microphone can take a very uh, loud level. Um, so, um, you know, and actually that was one of the reasons they liked it for Zane. Uh, his engineer at the time told me, like oh he's he's you know he can get too loud for almost any other mic he needs this one because he doesn't you know uh, he doesn't overload it um, so yeah this one's the same it can take a very high level but even when the source isn't loud it's just loud like coming into the mic preamp and it's unusually um, sensitive to things like pops on P's and S's, they call that sibilance, um, and B's and, and, you know, plosives. Um, these are all the artifacts of singing that as engineers, we try to, you know, minimize, um, so that they don't become distracting in a vocal performance. And, uh, you know, this mic is unusually, um, sensitive to those things. Um, but, uh, and it, it was a little, there's also something more, uh, which was, you know, I found like when singers got too close to it, um, the mid, like there would actually be like a buzz in the mid range that was very unpleasant. And, um, but as long as people uh, stayed back from it, it was great, you know, and, and it really depended on the singer. Some, some singers just really work with it um, better than others. And that's, that's just the way it is with microphones, unfortunately. But, um, 
but for those who it works with, um, it's it's amazing, and um, and you know, and it's a huge you know cut above all all my other microphones and most others that I've heard, and um, but this issue of you know being ultra sensitive to these um, you know to to these artifacts of singing, uh, they do interrupt. Um, some of the process insofar as um, studio singers, but, you know, uh, experienced studio singers um, play with what's called the proximity effect of a microphone. And again, I'm going to speak to the absolute beginners here. Uh, the pro proximity effect is just that. It's how close you are to the microphone. And on every, and what, the, you know, what that is, is the closer you get to a microphone, usually uh, there's more bass response. You know, there's there's a buildup of, of bass energy. And watch, I'm going to get closer to the microphone, and we're going to get, and it sounds more intimate. You know, um, so um, you know, so experienced studio singers uh, use that uh, like an instrument, basically. You know, and they, you know, they learn how to work a microphone. They they learn, you know, what it sounds like when they're in certain positions when they're on axis, off axis, when they're close and far, and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, I think one of the reasons why uh, the Neumann U87 became so ubiquitous, and and it really was, you know, for the, you know, uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, I mean, even to, to this day, um, but, you know, certainly in the 80s and 90s, that mic was used on, on so many hit, you know, songs. Um, but one of the reasons why was um, it was very easy to work, and, and singers learned it. And it's the same reason the Salt Wives insisted on using it with Zane, that it was this very predictable um, response. And, and it was very easy for singers to work qualities of it like proximity. And, and singers would learn it. And, and, and play it like an instrument, you know, the same way uh, that, you know, they roll in and, and vibrato and out, you know, they, they can roll in the intimacy and pull it back. And, and, and so with this microphone, with the, with the flea uh, that I bought, um, needing to be, uh, you know, remo so removed physically from the microphone removed that quality from it you know like you couldn't really play as much i mean you could with the, with the proximity but you ran ran the risk of ruining the take by getting other artifacts that you didn't want um and um so you know uh so it, it's not as simple as just saying well I'll stand two feet back and then it'll be everything will be fine i mean it is but but you lose something when you when you do that as well um so I think for me, I was still looking, I'm still, you know, I am and I was still looking for the real solution to that issue. And um, what I haven't had a chance to do yet, and I intend to do this, is I still haven't had a chance to test Flea's version of the F7. Um, and I know two people, uh, you know, locally to me that, that have it, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out a time uh, you know, to, to check it out, to check theirs out and see how they compare. Um, and, you know, look, if, if, <laughs> if theirs is better, I'm going to sell this and, and, get, and get that one. But in the meantime, um, so the first thing that happened was I, I came up with one solution, um, which was 
uh, I noticed that uh, if I, on my, on my A-channel mic preamps, on my best mic preamps, which are uh, my, my DW Fern VT2 mic preamps, uh, these were the ones designed by Doug Fern. And, um, you know, they're just, they're tube, they're incredible. Um, you know, they're just heads and shoulders above every other mic pre that I have. Um, and, uh, you know, on, the, on, on that mic preamp, I noticed that if I put the pad on, you know, and drop the level by whatever it is, 15, 20 dB, um, the, a lot of the artifacts went away, you know, particularly the stuff that, 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 that harshness on the high end um, dissipated. And, you know, it's, it's still not an ideal solution. I have to crank up the, you know, the gain because I'm taking it down so much. Um, but it was an improvement. And I started, you know, recording people that way um, because it was better. Uh, I actually talked to Doug about this very issue. And the funny thing was that, um, and I, was that he, he confided in me that, you know, he has... He has a fern, uh, not a fern. Uh, he has a flea uh, U48, very very similar mic to the U47, uh, and he has the original M7 or the F7 capsule. So uh, and he and he invited me to listen to his microphone, and he may be the one that I uh, end up doing that with. Um, and you know, his solution was just stand two feet back and everything's fine, and and that's cool. But uh, again, it doesn't it doesn't really address the problem entirely for me. Uh, he did not like the idea of introducing the pad. Um, and, and I understand why, you know, um, you know, my question for him was when you engage the pad, does it change the impedance relationship between the microphone and the preamp? And the answer to that is no, it doesn't change the impedance, but putting the pad in between the, trans the input transformer in the fern and the output transformer in the flea does alter that relationship. And apparently not in terms of impedance, but in some other way. And, and it, you know, so it made sense to him that it would change the sound, but it wasn't something he wanted to do. And, um, you know, and Doug is amazing. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I, I think of him as like audio Gandalf. He just knows, you know, he's so wise about all this stuff. And so I really take, you know, any, any thoughts he has on this, you know, so very seriously. And the fact that, you know, he's not in favor of introducing the pad uh, made me, um, you know, want to find a different solution uh, to it. Um, so uh, what? The, so the next thing that came up was, um, I discovered that uh, this company uh, down in Florida, AudioScape, um, who, uh, you know, this is this amazing um, company down there, a little startup. I, I don't know how long they've been doing this, three, four years, um, but they have been uh, making very, very uh, meticulously sourced in terms of the parts and meticulously put together um, clones of classic, um, you know, audio gear, um, mostly like rack gear. Uh, so, um, and, 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 and selling it at a greatly reduced price to the originals. Um, so, and I, I mean, I have some of their equipment. I have two, they have, they make an LA-2A clone. Uh, that's the optical compressor. Uh, I bought two of those. They're really beautiful. And even better than those, they make, um, 
an incredible clone of uh, Pultec tube equalizers. Uh, those are the big light blue ones with the big black knobs. Um, and we just got a pair of those, and they're really hard to get because people snatch them up so fast when, when, when this company does make them. But, um, but anyway, so, um, so I'm familiar with this company. I've already bought you know, a bunch of gear from them. Um, they, are, they manufacture uh, what they call a classic DI, and um, it, it's it's pretty bulky for for a DI, but it's interesting. Like it has, uh, it's it's all passive, so um, you know there's no sig- there's no you don't have to send it any electricity. Um, but uh, it has um, a level adjust on it, um, and you know a pad and and a ground lift switch. So that's all standard. You would get that in most DIs. But what's unusual is it has a load knob, you know, a pot. Um, and you're starting to see this um, on some gear. Uh, the company Cloud uh, just put out uh, one of their mic activators, uh, that, you know, the boosters um, that has one of those on it as well. Um, but this is the only passive DI that I know of that has one of these, where you can, you can adjust the impedance of a microphone. Uh, not well. It's supposed to be a DI, so it's supposed to be, uh, you know, a bass or a guitar or a keyboard or whatever. But um, but they very helpfully uh, on the back of this thing, because the housing's so big, included a microphone input, which is not something you normally see on a DI. Um, and uh, what the level adjustment doesn't affect the microphone at all, but but the load adjustment does, um, and. So this is an opportunity where, you know, you can run a mic through it and adjust, you know, the impedance relationship between the microphone and the preamp. Um, Also, uh, they put in uh, a transformer. They put in the exact same transformer that they're using in their LA-2A recreation, Um, So, uh, which is an interesting thing to have. so I thought, well, you know, this might be the ticket. This may be the way to address this issue. So I, I bought one. And, um, and so here's the interesting part. Right now, I'm talking to you through the Flea uh, U47, and it's going through that box. Um, and, uh, you know, the, um, the load adjustment is interesting. The only, the, one of the things that's difficult about it is it, it it affects the level. So, um, you know, right now I have it at what, I've done a bunch of testing and I have it at at a setting that I found to be the most pleasing. Um, But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna sweep that knob and let you hear the differences. But, you know, a funny thing happened, like uh, when I did a first pass at doing this uh, for the podcast, um, I was describing what I was hearing in the headphones as I was sweeping. And the interesting thing is when I took the headphones off and listened on speakers, what I was describing, you know, there's not what I was hearing, uh, you know, on, on the speakers. And once I level matched, um, you know, the quieter sections with the louder sections, um, the tonal differences were different from what I thought I was hearing in the headphones. Um, and I think they were l- what, largely what I was hearing in the headphones was a result of the level differences, not tonal. Um, however, that being said, um, even on speakers, once everything was level matched, um, 
I did find a setting that I felt uh, really was helping a lot. Um, yeah, and I I, I A-B'd it with, with without having the box in at all, with just you know the raw microphone, and um, and I really felt like it helped an awful lot. Um, however, um, there was there is a price to pay for this, which is while the microphone you know just by itself is really really loud and 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 um you know without putting a pad on on a mic preamp you know um for most vocalists um it's the gain it has to be almost all the way down uh, and then if anybody's really singing with power i would have to put a pad on it anyway um, the flea does not have a pad. Um, so there's no way to pad that microphone. So, um, so, uh, you know, that's how loud the mic normally is with the transformer in, of the DI with the Audioscape LA2A transformer in the line, it knocks the level down at least 15 dB, maybe 20. Um, and you know, it's it's a lot. Um, so right now I'm speaking to you through this system and th without a pad on, the gain on my fern is three quarters of the way up, which would probably, you know, uh, make Doug shudder and think that this is not a good solution. <laughs> but um, but again, when, when I match um, the sound that I'm getting against you know, rec you know, recording the mic without the box. The transformer really does some interesting stuff. Um, again, I'll let you hear, but, um, you know, listening on my PMC monitors, you know, loud, um, so I could really hear the differences. Um, not only did it help with the artifacts, you know, the buzz on the top end and whatever, and less plosives on the, I mean, it's funny, I'm sitting here saying plosives, and and I have carefully positioned the microphone to minimize these things, but this amount that you're hearing right now, I'm pretty close to the mic. Um, you're hearing a vast improvement over what the mic normally sounds like. And uh, in terms of how much the sibilances and the plosives, it really does reduce them quite a bit. But the other thing that I wasn't expecting at all uh, is that the transformer in the DI does seem to open up the mid-range a little bit. Um, compared to the to the raw microphone, the mid-range, you know, the, that 1K, that right in the middle of my voice, um, was a little boxy. Not terribly so, but a little bit. And by comparison, uh, running through the DI, it was not only, it was a little more open and it had a nice flavor. I mean, there's a reason the Audioscape is using this transformer in, in, the LA, in their LA-2A. Um, it did something nice. So I'm still at the beginning of this solution. Like I haven't, uh, I haven't used this live on a session yet, but, but the next vocal session I do, you, you know, I am definitely going to use it. Um, and my thinking is, you know, I mean, I have the gain cranked up on the mic preamp cause I'm speaking right now, but you know, you get uh, your average singer with, you know, uh, average power in their voice. Um, you know, I don't think I'll have to crank it up anywhere near as much. And, um, and I think this should, in the end, present a pretty reasonable solution. So then the big question becomes, how does this combination compare to a flea with the F7 capsule 
or even one of the other clones, one of the other brands. Um, uh, and um, I'm blanking on the name. It starts with a C uh, that makes the other major clone of the U-47. But, uh, and then there's, always, there's Telefunken, but they charge you know, $10,000 for theirs. Um, but uh, in the four to $6,000 range, there's, there's a few other options. Um, but at any rate, so yeah, it's, I'm curious, like how this would compare to, to the F7 capsule and what if I use the solution with the F7? How, you know, what kind of a difference would that make, too? Um, so uh, these are all interesting questions. Um, but in the end, you know, it's not a, it's not off the table yet that what I have is the best solution. You know, um, that clarity on the low end and that that forward sound, that modern unquote thing. Uh, that might be exactly what I got and what I want. And as long as I was able to minim you know, have, minimize these other issues, great. Okay, so um, I'm going to sweep this load knob now and let you all get a chance to hear it. And what I'm going to try to do is in post, I'm going to try to you know, balance the levels a little so that you get a better sense of the tonal differences and not just the level differences. Okay, so... Um, Right now, I just moved the knob all the way to the left. Um, and so this is the lowest setting. Big level drop in my headphones um, that I mistook for uh, high-end roll-off. It's not exactly. It's more just um, level. All right, so now I'm going to start turning the knob. We're going to hear the difference. Right now, I'm at 9 o'clock, and this is the sound of my U47, my Flea 47, going through the classic DI from Audioscape, and I'm going to keep moving it up. Here we are, 10 o'clock, and keep moving it up. Here we are, more like 11 o'clock, and um, in the headphones, this starts to sound really nice. You know, the balance between uh, the highs and lows in the headphones sound great. When I got it on the speakers, though, it was not as dramatic a difference as I thought there would be. Here's 12 o'clock. Um, and uh, again, this is a setting that I thought might be best until I got it on speakers. And keep moving it around. And here's 2 o'clock. And we're getting louder. And, um, and here's 3 o'clock. And now this is where I was at for the rest of this podcast. This is what I've been using so far to talk to you on. And if I keep going, here's 4 o'clock. And all the and it stops at five o'clock, and here's the highest setting on it. And um, you know, it still sounds good in the headphones. Uh, it, it's it's in the headphones. It sounds a little more mid-rangey, but um, but not bad. Um, I'm gonna put this back on three o'clock. Now this is the setting again that I've been on the entire time. And um, you know, it's uh, it's a very interesting uh, comparison to make. Um, it's just great to have this flexibility. Now, the funny thing to me is um, Audioscape generally sells this as a DI. You're supposed to plug a bass into it or something. But uh, And I've recorded some bass through it, and it sounded great. <laughs> but um, but uh, when they do mention using it with a microphone, the funny thing to me is they talk about um, tuning a ribbon mic or a dynamic mic with it. And... Um, I can understand where they're coming from because, uh, you know, ribbon mics are the most likely to have incompatible, or, or not incompatible, but uh, but differences in their output impedance versus 
what the input of a mic preamp would would want to see if it wasn't designed for ribbons. Um, you know, uh, the, the impedance on dynamic mics, you know, t would tend to be lower. You know, um, but um, but the problem is that like you know these microphones are already very low level, <laughs> particularly the ribbon mics. And this is why you normally want to use uh, a mic activator with them, like a cloud lifter. Um, you know, they, they normally need a boost, you know, and, uh, and here this box is knocking down the level by, you know, significantly by, it's knocking down the level as much as a booster would be boosting it, you know. And uh, <laughs> so um, now I suppose there's nothing stopping you from putting the activator, um, you know, before the DI in terms of, you know, because you have to send phantom power to, to the activator. So doing uh, like mic pre activator, then DI. And so you could still boost the level um, that way. Um, but the problem is if you do that, you're, there's no point. Uh, you lose all the benefit of tuning the impedance because the mic activator is going to spit out a straight up, you know, impedance. Um, and, you know, it's a separate issue, but uh, I've been dealing with that as well, which is, um, you know, um, <coughs> these uh, these mic activators, and there's several different brands of these, um, you know, Cloudlifter uh, was kind of early on the scene with that, but now Royer makes their own, and, and SE Electronics makes a few. Um, there's a bunch. Um, you know, part of what they do is is... Uh, change the impedance and they tend I think the cloud lifter puts out a 2.5k ohm impedance uh, which is a little high uh, you know most of my mic preamps are not that high uh, the the ferns are 1.5 on the in the input and uh, or what they want to see and uh, and Doug has told me that that's actually a standard um, excuse me um, I believe the Neves are 2.0 and uh, the APIs, uh, weirdly, I have to check that again. I went and looked at the manual for what's the 312 preamps that are inside the box console that I have. And I think it said they were 1.0, which I, I, that's got to be wrong. But, um, but at any rate, the point being the cloud lifter maybe not, is not perfect in its own right. But, but if you're taking a ribbon mic that would normally be you know, 4,000 ohms, uh, 2.5 is a lot closer. <laughs> it's a lot better. Um, but anyway, the point is you're erasing anything you've done with the with the impedance knob on this DI if you put if you put an activator after it. So uh, you know what's the point? Um, so it basically, uh, at the end of the day, this thing I don't see how this is useful at all with dynamic mics or ribbon mics because your level is going to be ridiculously low. Um, like you know, there's there's just no point in it. Um, the only place it's useful really is with a mic like this flea, where the initial level is so hot that it can stand being knocked down 15 or 20 dB and still be useful. Um, so that's, I'm not sure what they were thinking at Audioscape. I might actually uh, check in with Chris over there and ask him you know, what the deal was with that. Um, but I mean, the whole the whole issue of using microphones in this box seems to sort of be an afterthought to me anyway, but um, I'm just curious, you know, what, you know, if they had a thought that, that I'm not, you know, thinking of, you know, if I can learn something there. Um, but in the meantime, uh, like I said, I think that, you know, the next vocal we do, uh, I think I'm going to, you know, run it through this box at this setting and, and, 
and you know, see how it goes. Um, you know, I, I, certainly on my tests, um, I feel like there's been a noticeable improvement. So, um, all righty, uh, that's it. That's it for this podcast. This went a lot longer than I thought it would. I thought it was going to be really short. Uh, <laughs> I can gab. Uh, there's going to be uh, so I'm going to do another episode on the other quest. You know, on on, on the how much analog gear to use uh, thing. Uh, and, and unfortunately that one's going to be longer probably, but, uh, really, really interesting. And, and, uh, yeah, the best part about that one is where I'm still on this quest with the microphone, that one, I really feel like I got to the, uh, I got to the end. I feel like I found the grail and, uh, that's exciting. That's really exciting actually. Um, and so I'm looking forward to sharing that with people. But uh, all right. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, by the way, in case you haven't noticed, um, I've been posting a lot more YouTube videos lately, um, uh, just going over exactly these uh, issues, a lot of stuff around the, the board, the API board. But, um, you know, uh, I also uh, we recently got the uh, SSL UC1 um, plugin controller uh, and it came, comes with these amazing uh, SSL plugins. And, uh, and I discovered something about uh, how they implement um, side chaining that uh, is not made terribly obvious um, in, in any videos or the manual. And so I did, a, I did a little instructional video about that. If you have that system, and I highly recommend checking that out. Um, and uh, that's it. Okay, I'll see you on the next one. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.